but it's a good kind of, of distraction, and I always appreciate when the Lord does this, and that is while even Rick was giving, was teaching this morning, and while Gary was reading the scripture, and while we were singing, the Lord is bringing um, aspects of, of the passage we're going to be looking at this morning and, and tying in different things. I'm like, oh, I got to remember that, but I didn't have a pen, or oh, I got to tie that in too, and and uh, you just only have so much time. So it, it's, a, it's a good kind of distraction. And uh, I hope I can remember some of these things. The Lord, you know, the Lord never stops um, working his word through his spirit, even to the preacher before the message. And, and that's a sign that things are happening. So that's good. Um, but uh, just praising the Lord for the truth of his word that we're singing and that we're hearing taught, even that last uh, hymn. Uh, open my eyes. We're going to be we're going to be talking about people today that are having their eyes open to the truth, and Jesus is going to talk about the Spirit that will come, and He'll give a very vivid description of what is about to happen for His disciples when they receive the Spirit. And so, all of these tie nicely together. Really, uh, the theme can be summed up in uh, proclaiming that we have seen the risen Lord going to see that today. Turn to John chapter 20, working through verses 19 through 31, so you can turn to verse 19. And uh, also be ready, we're going to briefly go to Luke 24, if you want to put your finger there, just again to have a supplement to uh, what John gives us in his gospel. And let's again remind ourselves of where we've been recently, and again, the wonderful service we had last week, we saw that Mary, Mary Jesus appeared to her, in my opinion, because she at the moment was the most needy. Peter and John had left to reflect that there is Mary in sorrow and grief, and Jesus appeared to her and comforted her, but then said, basically, if I could put it this way, paraphrase. Mary, don't keep me all to yourself. Other people need to know. And she went and proclaimed. And we also find out in the other Gospels that Jesus soon appears to the other women that had been with Mary. Remember, they all went to the tomb together very early in the morning while it was still dark. They arrived at the tomb while during daybreak. Um, and they realized that something was wrong. Mary ran and got Peter and John. The other women were there and saw the angels. And then... They're separated, but the other women on their way back report to the disciples, what we can tell here, also have an appearance from Jesus himself. And so they all are ready and excited and coming back to the disciples as a whole. We, we have, besides those, so if, if you think about the chronology, Lord, the Lord Jesus has appeared to Mary Magdalene, has then appeared to the other women that were with her. And then we have in Luke this account of two men traveling to a small town of Emmaus. You'll remember they saw Jesus. They didn't recognize him right away either, did they? They asked him to come in, and he was with them. And they recognized finally as he's explaining the scriptures who he is, and he disappears, and they run. And that's a good, if I remember correctly, over two hours journey maybe three, and they literally almost run all the way back to tell the disciples. There's a lot of excitement. 
We also find out in scripture that Jesus at some time in this, it seems, did appear to Peter as well. That would have been an interesting conversation, wouldn't it? But we don't have it recorded. We just know that it happened. We don't know the details. Peter has, by this point, seen, had the experience, the appearance of Jesus. And now, as we get to John 20, verse 19, it's Sunday. It's the first day of the week. And Jesus is going to appear again to many disciples. And there's going to be great joy. But it's also going to be met with some skepticism as well. In the midst of all this, you have people that have seen the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ, and are filled with joy and excitement. And their testimony is, we have seen the risen Lord. That needs to be our testimony as well. And hopefully the joy that they experienced and the, the beauty of that, we can experience in even a greater way as we have the Holy Spirit helping us to understand. They've had a lot of failings, right? I mean, Peter's there. The other disciples, they all left him at some point. Even John, who was there again later on at the foot of the cross. There was a lot of things that he could have said in their first in his first meeting with them. And yet there's no rebuke at all. There is, I have accomplished all that needs to be done for you to have peace. But as I just said, they're still fearful. Look at Turn quickly to Luke 24. Luke 24, verse 36. It gives us Luke's perspective. Luke was not an eyewitness to this, most likely, at this point. But he had talked to many other eyewitnesses, and that's where he gets his details. And, of course, the Holy Spirit. And it says, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. They're still trying to just get their minds around, even though they probably they've been told at this point by a couple of the followers. It still is something that they're having a hard time comprehending. And they think literally they're seeing a ghost. This can't be real. And they're terrified. They're scared to death. No pun intended. And that's why Jesus, John doesn't give us the reason why Jesus says this, but Luke does. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Why are you troubled? I am real. I'm the real thing. It's really me. Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit, a ghost, has not flesh and bones, as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have you here any meat? So the idea here is once they realize it's him, there's joy and there's wonder. <laughs> I mean, folks, this is the last thing that the disciples were expecting. They're grieving because the one that they thought was their Messiah had been crucified and was buried. And none of them expected to see him again. You can imagine that just the emotions and the excitement here and the wonder of all this. And Jesus is going to give them another proof. Yes, this is a real body. 
And for all of those, uh, even today in some false religions and different things that say, well, Jesus was in a spirit form. He wasn't fully human. He washes all of that away, blows the smoke away from that claim because he actually eats in front of them. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and it eat before them. Folks, we know this. Ghosts don't eat. This is a real person before them. And he gives them this full proof that he is real. And he said unto them, these are the words that I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Do you remember last week when John told us that Peter and John had not as of yet had a full understanding through the scriptures, although John did believe. He saw something supernatural happen. He saw Jesus' body was not there anymore, and he knew that something miraculous had happened. He believed, but he didn't even have a full understanding yet. And it's at this moment that Jesus spends time in this evening of, of, of the first day where they're gathered together. It would eventually be known as the Lord's Day as he appeared to them. And the first appearance and the first meeting together on that day was one of fear on their part but then joy and wonderment as he appeared to them and opened up their understanding through the scriptures. And so with that background, let's go back then to John chapter 20. And that helps us to understand a little bit. John chapter 20, verse 20. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands inside. And the disciples, here John focuses on the joy, the gladness, almost an understatement, but you could read it this way. They were glad. They were frightened before, but now they realize it's real. He's risen from the dead. And you might think, well, why would this be such a surprise to them? They had seen Jesus raise others from the dead. Remember Lazarus? Remember the, the little girl or, or the, it was, uh, it was a little girl. And there was a son as well. They'd seen him resurrect others. But folks, most of these were all in sickness, and their deaths were more quiet deaths. And if you think of what they experienced as they looked upon the violent, awful, torturing, and death of their Savior, I'm sure that they looked at it with a sense of finality. No one in their minds, even if they never said this, no one could survive that. And here he is, the miraculous glory showing them, yes, here's the scars. And yes, I am renewed. I have my resurrected body. I am real. And they are glad, rejoicing in this. And what a beautiful moment that had to have been for them. And then we find from Luke. He opens up the Old Testament scriptures and says, see, here, here's where all this, probably from Isaiah, probably from the Psalms, certainly, as we've seen. And it gives them further explanation. And then after he's done that, after he's provided them joy and understanding, he's going to give further understanding to commission disciples. He's not just going to lead them in joy of the moment, but he's going to say, now you need to do something with this, my followers. You are commissioned to proclaim that I am risen to others. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, remember, here's that same phrase, peace be with you. He is 
impressing upon them that they can have true peace. Stop being fearful. Stop being scared. I'm here. I'm resurrected. And I have a job for you to do. As the Father hath sent me, even so I am sending you. Remember how he said that he had finished the mission of the Father? He completed, and that was a central tenet, a central focus of this whole gospel. Jesus continually mentioned that he had been sent from the Father. And even before his crucifixion, he said, I have accomplished the mission. And he certainly had accomplished the mission in his death and resurrection. And now Jesus is saying, I've accomplished my part of the mission, and now I'm going to enable you. You have a part in this as well, my followers. I'm going to send you forth to continue. The Father has a mission for you too, and for all those who would follow after them, which includes us. Jesus has a mission for us as he commissions his disciples here as well. As the Father has sent me, even so, now I'm sending you. And now he does something that's very interesting and unfortunately is misunderstood many times. Really, we need to look at what Jesus is doing in this next two verses as a visual illustration that will help the disciples prepare them for the coming of the Spirit that would happen at Pentecost. Remember that? We have a description of an axe with the flames of fire and the coming of the Spirit upon them after Jesus has ascended. This isn't a precursor or a first helping, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is giving them a visual idea of what to expect so that when it happens at Pentecost, they'll know, oh, this is that power. This is the spirit coming upon us that Jesus mentioned that first time he appeared to us in the upper room. So let's look at this. Verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Again, with my description that I just gave at that point, there are still some that look at this and say, this is an initial um, sending forth of the Spirit into these disciples, and then they would receive another, a second, a double helping, if you may, of the Spirit at Pentecost. But that really doesn't line up with what we see in the rest of Scripture. And if that were the case, we're going to see that these disciples still have some struggles. We're going to see that next week, actually. Peter still doesn't have a full understanding and comprehension of what's happened, and he's struggling. If they had the Holy Spirit, I doubt that Peter would be struggling to the extent that he is, as we're going to see next week. But this is um, a preparation and a picture as he literally breathes on them. And it's an example of the Spirit. We've heard of the Spirit described as the wind, right? He described it that way to Nicodemus. He described the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's person to Nicodemus in that way, that you can't see the wind, but it's powerful and it works. And Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit will come upon you like a wind. And he's giving a visual expression of that. So that when it does come, don't be frightened, but receive. Be ready for the Spirit to come. <clears throat> and then, if that was kind of hard to understand, um, he also adds this from verse 23, really, if we're not careful, can be misunderstood. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What does this mean? 
Are they literally then, is he giving them the authority to give or withhold forgiveness of sins to others? Well, only God can forgive sins. We know that. That's why one of the, the problems that the religious leaders have with Jesus, they didn't realize him as God. How can he forgive sins? Well, he is not now giving something that is God's prerogative only to his disciples. But what he's saying in this is that they will have the gospel message to proclaim to believers and unbelievers. And when they proclaim that, it would be the dividing line between believers and unbelievers. Do you remember what we just read in 1 John? That's one of the things that came to my mind. These men would be able to proclaim this message, and it would signify who was a believer and who was not. And as they proclaimed that message, their message would uh, um, proclaim the truth. It, remember when we read, uh, Gary read a little bit earlier, I'll read it to you again. For this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has a Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. John is fulfilling what Jesus is saying here. He's proclaiming the truth that differentiates between those that have faith and have life and those that do not have life. And so basically, they are being given the gospel message that they will proclaim, and that message will differentiate between those who are forgiven and those who do not trust in Christ and are not forgiven. And that is what Jesus is portraying as he says this. Uh, one commentator, Barclay, says it this way. This lays down the duty of the church to convey forgiveness to the penitent, the repentant in heart, and to warn the impenitent that they are forfeiting the mercy of God. That's our job. We give people the gospel, and we warn them of the results of not accepting and believing in Christ and accepting the gospel. And that is that they will not experience forgiveness. It is the commissioning to give the gospel message. that will be the dividing line between believers and unbelievers, and it will make it clear. I hope that makes sense. But Jesus said, you must go forth and proclaim that I am risen to a world that needs to hear that. And folks, what does that tell us today, then, in an application? We have all that we need to effectively serve our Lord and Savior today, don't we? We have the Spirit's power in our lives. As, as Jesus was visually giving them an illustration, they would eventually receive the Spirit. And folks, today, for those of us in Christ, we have received the Spirit. There's no excuse for us. We need to fully go and... and, and um, in the various witnessing and conversational opportunities that, that, that God gives us and ministry opportunities, don't be fearful of those. Don't think in your minds, well, if you think in your minds, I, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not able to do that. Well, you would be right in one sense. But the point that Jesus is making here is that the power of the Holy Spirit will ready all of us for that. And they will have the Spirit to proclaim the gospel. You ever wonder how could those Apollos disciples who are so terrified, hiding behind locked doors, be as bold as they were in the book of Acts? It's the Holy Spirit. 
working in them. And Jesus says, he will come and you serve me. And he tells us um, today that we need to serve him as well. Another commentator, Leon Morris, said this, the charge is given as given added solemnity from being linked with the mission of the son. Their mission proceeds from his. It is only because he has thus accomplished his mission, and indeed precisely because he has accomplished it, accomplished it that they are sent into the world. If you ever doubt that you can do what God's called you to do, remember Jesus accomplished his mission, and that's all we need. We can accomplish ours. Well, the risen Lord brought joy as he commissioned his followers, but there were still some that needed convincing. And the risen Lord also convinces his followers, verses 24 through 31. There was one man who was missing from that initial meeting, and we don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us. You hear, never heard somebody kind of be down or negative on Thomas, like maybe he slept in and wasn't able to be there. You know, he was late for church or whatever. We, that's, that's not fair. We don't know why Thomas was there. Maybe he had a very good reason for not being there. We're not told, but he wasn't there. And so the other disciples who have seen Jesus are excited and trying to convince him. And he's a little cynical about that. And Jesus is going to provide proof then to skeptical disciples. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. John keeps reminding us that his name meant twin. I don't know if that meant that he had a twin, that something happened to the twin. Um, we don't know. But just so you know. That's what his name means in the Greek. But he was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples, they were obeying Jesus. They're telling others. And they excitedly, of course, they would tell Thomas, one of their own, we have seen the Lord. You can add in there, we've seen the risen Lord. He's alive. And they're amazed and excited. But Thomas, not so much. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, I'm going to kind of come along on Thomas's side this morning. I think he gets a little bit of a bad rap, as we, as we say today. We tend to refer to him as Doubting Thomas. But in actuality, folks, if you look at the few things that were told about Thomas in, in the, the Gospels, um, he has a, a good track in a lot of ways, of, of a committed, faithful servant. And we're going to see here in just a minute, he gives testimony of Christ that is remarkable. Well, let's ask ourselves this. Would any of the other disciples' responses been any different if they'd missed Jesus' initial appearance? Would any of our responses have been any different? They got a chance to touch the, the imprint of the nails in Jesus and see him for themselves. Otherwise, they may have probably, and we probably would have said the same thing that Thomas had said. <clears throat> Why? Because Jesus' resurrection, remember, wasn't expected by any of them. And another thing that they had that Thomas didn't have um, access to yet, Jesus had taken time to explain the Old Testament scriptures. So they're prepared to tell others, come on, Thomas, just believe. Thomas didn't have any of that And it was challenging, the whole idea of that man that they had seen on a cross processing the fact that he was alive. That had to take some time. Again, I'm in, we're going to see next week, it takes some time for Peter to really process that. 
And all Thomas is really saying here then, he wants the same visual proof. Well, if you guys got to see him, I need to see him too, because it's utterly incomprehensible that somebody could be crucified and be raised from the dead. I, I have to see that. And Jesus is going to provide him that. And so Thomas is basically saying, until I see what you guys have seen, I will never believe. And remember his statement there, because the Lord has some very helpful, encouraging comments that apply to us based on what he says there. Another week passes by. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, See, they're still having trouble with that fear thing. They've locked the doors again, even though they've seen Jesus. Well, let's still keep some security here in place. Again, no problem for the risen Lord. He easily gets by the doors. And what does he say again, this first thing? Peace be with you. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Again, I have the spiritual well-being that I offer to you in my relationship with you through faith in me, you can have peace. Stop being fearful, disciples. Have peace. And then he has a message specifically for Thomas after that. And he basically repeats what Thomas said to the other disciples. Jesus knew his very words, and he repeats his words back to them. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Disbelieve no longer, Thomas, but believe. And he calls him, that very personal message to Thomas, touch me, Thomas, and believe. See what you doubted. And we have no recorded indication here that Thomas ever took him up on that. It was enough for Thomas to see Jesus in front of him. And he responds remarkably in this amazing statement of faith and discernment about the person of Jesus. Verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And folks, that is such a direct statement of Jesus' deity that's found in the scripture that many cults and false um, False religions have tried to distort what Thomas is saying here. One, one of the most ludicrous uh, distortions is that Thomas was so surprised about seeing Jesus that he literally took the Lord's name in vain. That's why he says, my God. And so why would they even say that? How ludicrous is that? Because they don't want to admit that Jesus is God. So they twist this very wonderful and perceptive Really, if you think about this, this is a stronger statement of the deity of Christ that any disciple had given, even Peter. Remember that marvelous, here's another person that gets a bad rap a lot of times, Martha. Poor Martha, always busy and everything. You remember what she said before Lazarus was raised from the dead? She acknowledged that he was her Lord and Messiah in a marvelous statement of faith. But we miss this in the whole issue of, oh, there goes Thomas doubting again. But he says, my Lord and my God. He's saying, you are my Lord that I worship. And you are my Lord that I serve, excuse me. And you are my God. You are God. You are a deity. And I worship you. I humble myself before you. 
Nobody else has said that yet. This is remarkable. So just as a side note, whenever we think of Thomas, let's give him a, all of this is God working through him, right? Even as Jesus told Peter, God is giving them this understanding. Well, let's not be too hard on them. This is a remarkable statement. And then Jesus responds, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And it almost seems as if Jesus is rebuking Thomas here because many times our translations put this into the form of a question. It may well be a gentle rebuke, but I think really what Jesus is doing, he is acknowledging with that beautiful statement of faith, yes, Thomas, you have expressed true faith. You have put your faith and trust. You understand who I am. But there are others who will receive a further blessing because they won't ever be able to see me in the way that you did. Thomas said, I will never believe unless I see him. Folks, those that would come from their testimony would trust Christ into us today. We don't get to say that. We put our faith and trust having not seen. And Jesus knows that. As wonderful as the blessings that we experience in our life with the Holy Spirit within us, there is one advantage, at least that the disciples had. They were actually able to see him as risen Savior. We haven't had that advantage yet. And Jesus acknowledges that. Jesus said to him, blessed are those who have not seen with physical eyes, but have seen with spiritual eyes, and yet have believed. And for all of us here, that ought to give us hope and confidence that Jesus knows. It, it's hard sometimes with faith. It, we struggle. There are times where our faith is tested. We talked about this this morning when we go through suffering. It's like, Jesus, if I could just see you. And Jesus here acknowledges it is difficult to believe. And those who believe without being able to see me physically will have a special blessing. They are blessed. We don't know what that blessing is. All of us will be in heaven one day. But no, and that's encouraging to me as well, that Jesus says, I know and I acknowledge the fact that you have not seen me and yet you believe and there will be blessing. I will acknowledge that one day. I don't know. That gives me encouragement. I hope it gives you encouragement too. John is going to continue his description here of the purpose of the book. We'll get to that in a minute. But this reminded me of a beautiful story when I was ministering to our teenagers back in Maryland. And, you know, there's all kinds of, of different personalities and, and types. And I just, I enjoyed spending time with each teenager and getting to know them. There was one guy in particular. Um, his name was Logan. My boys know him well. And he was kind of a, he's a little bit more of a cynical guy. If you want to say the glass is half full or half empty. Actually, it's full because there's air in it and water, right? But if you want to say it's half empty, he was kind of one of those guys that would always say, well, it's half empty. And it kind of got to the point where when I would interact with him and I would talk with him and he would tell me some of the things that he was bothered about and things that didn't go well and things that should be done better, I'd say, Logan, okay, now when we get together, you need to give me at least two positive things that have happened in your day just so I know that you're not always focusing on the negative side of it. He's a little more cynical and frustrated. Well, one of the wonderful blessings of working with teams was being able to take them to a Christian camp every summer. And it was always the wilds. And to 
have these kids hear the gospel, even though they've had, they, they, many of them have heard it before, and to see God working in them. And I think even as I was, I was actually, as I was driving one of the vans, I had kids with me. We had kids in other vans because we didn't have a school bus. And so we had to rent multiple vans and take them up. And I was talking with Logan. And, you know, he was looking forward to it, but he was still a little cynical about certain things. But folks, I remember this. And it's still, I, it just brings me to tears halfway through the week. And Logan, we were coming up for lunch, I think it was, or, or for breakfast. And Logan just had this beautiful smile on his face. It was just joy in his heart. And he came up to me and he said, Pastor Brock, I just got saved. And there was no more cynicism. There was no more critical spirit. Now, I'm not saying that he didn't struggle with that in the future. He did. But in that moment, there was this look of joy and gladness. And I just grabbed him. I just hugged him. I said, praise the Lord. And the beauty of that reminds me of what Thomas was going through here because he had that joy and that gladness. And, folks, we all know what that means when we came to Christ. And the point of all that is don't be selfish with it. Share it with others. Proclaim it. And as John reflects on Thomas's statement, really Thomas kind of brings the, the statement, brings the whole gospel in full circle. What did John say at the beginning of the gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he also said in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And now Thomas says, my Lord and my God, and ties us all together in a beautiful um, symmetry. And then John says, and by the way, here's the point of all this. Verse 30, here's the purpose. Now Jesus did many other things, signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. He makes it clear. He didn't tell us everything. And he's going to let us know later on what that would entail for somebody to, to be able to try to. It's impossible, basically, to tell everything that Jesus did, that the disciples experienced. He said, there's many things that I couldn't get into this book. It'd be a longer one. It'd be longer than Luke's gospel. Well, he doesn't say that. But, but the things that I did include, there was a purpose for them. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He's calling us to the blessing that Jesus just stated. You want this blessing? Put your faith and trust in him. This is my gospel. I have given you the truth. I have done what Jesus just commissioned us to do, present you with the truth, and now you have to decide, will you Accept forgiveness of sins, or will you go on with unforgiveness? Will you believe the truth of the gospel? You must believe that Jesus, in three things, Jesus is the Christ, that he is the sent one, the Messiah. You must believe that. And that he is the Son of God. As Thomas did, you must believe that he is God and his deity. And many cults try to circumvent around that. And that's the reason they're a false message and a false gospel, because, folks, we have to believe that Jesus is God. That's a part of this. 
then you have to believe as well that you may have life in his name. Another major theme that John continues to talk about throughout this gospel is that through Jesus, we have eternal life with God, with our heavenly father forever. Forgiveness of sins and new life, eternal. Our new bodies, as we talked about this, this morning as well. All of this we have through faith in Christ because of what he has done. And John says, that's the purpose. That's why I've written this. That's why you're reading this. So, folks, it is appropriate as we go out there and we talk to people and, and they're interested in God's word. And we say, well, read the Gospel of John. That's the purpose why John writ, uh, wrote it and why the Holy Spirit inspired and worked through him to write this. is So people would read this and believe. And you think about this. We have a fuller knowledge of the gospel than even Thomas did. In his statement. And we have the full canon of scripture from John and others. John wrote the last book. He gave us, in, in an in a earthly sense, he capped it off. All that we need. So, what's hindering us from testifying of our risen Lord? Thomas is ready to do so. Mary, the disciples, John saying, I did it. You're reading it. Now you go. Believe, this is also for believers as well, continue to have faith and trust in God's word and proclaim the risen Lord. That's our commission. Will we obey the words of Jesus? Father, thank you for this moving reminder of the joy that we have and this exclamation from this confused and despondent disciple that erupted in that claim, in, in that statement, my Lord and my God, and we do the same thing. Those that have truly trusted Christ, we recognize Jesus as Messiah. He was the sent one, and because he accomplished his mission, we can accomplish what he calls us to do today, because he is God, and he conquered death and sin. That nasty devil. And he can give us what we need to proclaim him as risen today. So, Lord, give us joy today. Give us enthusiastic excitement for this message. Just point people to the gospel. We can point people to where they can receive forgiveness of sins or reject that forgiveness. And that's, that's their personal responsibility. But help us to point them in joy. Show on our faces that you don't want to miss this. Accept Christ as Savior today. Worship him as God. Serve him as the risen Lord. And experience life eternal that he promises for those who believe. Let our hearts be joyful. And let us gaze in wonder at these things. And go out and serve you in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this we ask, we need your help, and we ask for it in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.